Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Live from Los Angeles, the Win Without Competing Show with Dr. Arlene Barrow, career coach one and author of Win Without Competing. Now, here's Dr. Arlene. Thank you, Virgil. In tough economic times, it is especially important to implement my Right Fit method, which will enable you to win without competing in your career and in your life. I carefully select my guests who serve as powerful users of my right-fit method. A key component of that method is passion, our career fuel, the impetus and foundation of career success. My guest today, Steve Jordan, is soaked in passion, but passion is not enough. Steve and my other guests, know how to harness their passion. They excel in managing the process and walking down the right fit road to reach their goals. They know how to recognize right fits. They know how to recognize wrong fits. They know whether they can fix or not fix a wrong fit. They know when to walk away. They assume responsibility for their successes and failures. They say to themselves, it's all up to me. Throughout my own career as a medical school dean to heading a $60 million education program at the National Institutes of Health and as the founder and CEO of Barrow Global Search, Inc., I have observed that figuring out right fits is extremely difficult for many people to do. As a result, they continue taking the wrong fit road and wonder why they are in wrong marriages, wrong careers, or wrong homes. The solution is simple. Stop asking who is the best or what is the best. Stop comparing and contrasting. If all your choices are wrong and you pick one which you designate as the best, you made a wrong choice. Picture a barrel of rotten apples. Grab one. What do you have? A rotten apple. To learn more about my Right Fit Method, continue listening to today's show And after the show, visit winwithoutcompeting.com to read excerpts from my book. On to my guest today, Steve Jordan, fitness guru who overcame paralysis and memory loss, an inspirational career and personal story. Steve is a celebrity kinesiologist who has trained a wide array of people from the National Academy of Sports Medicine, 
where he was appointed to the position of educator to train fitness professionals, to the Today Show on NBC, where he became a regular contributor. Steve's client list includes celebrities, musicians, news anchors, medical doctors, athletes of all levels, business executives, and most importantly, today's youth. He has been featured in national publications like Fitness Magazine, Self, Glamour, Performance Magazine, Men's Fitness, Ultimate Fighter, Vivid, New York Daily News, The Washington Post, and Beverly Hills Courier. His TV appearances include Today in New York, Oxygen Network, E! Entertainment, ABC Eyewitness News, and Good Morning America. Steve also currently sits on the Board of Advisors of the Venice Family Clinic, the nation's largest nonprofit health center. Whether working with professional athletes, celebrities that need to be in shape for a movie or photo shoot, or one-on-one with clients who have chronic pain or physical disabilities to help them lead normal, pain-free lives, Steve brings passion and fervor to his work. Welcome to Win Without Competing, Steve. Thank you, Dr. Barrow. I'm happy to be here. You grew up in New Jersey. Your dad was an entrepreneur, and your mom was a special education teacher. What did you learn from your parents? Well, Dr. Barrow, uh, learning from my parents is an ongoing process, but as a child, I learned, uh, I learned from my father a, a great work ethic, and uh, I learned fervor, uh, that word that you used earlier, uh, which to me encompasses perseverance, discipline, um, and being able to, to uh, succeed even among failures. From my mom, I learned that uh, no matter how challenging a time or a, a student or a person can be uh, in their learning capabilities, you have to keep a, a goal in mind and use a strategy to help that individual through a process uh, to get them the best information possible. How old were you when you started playing sports, and when did you realize that you had the ability to be an accomplished athlete? Well, I think I, I remember playing sports at a very, very young age. I would probably say almost five years old, but I'm sure it even started before then. I was always a really active child. And I remember uh, some of the first, the first sport that I played that I really uh, took a liking to and excelled in was soccer. And uh, I was quickly lifted from uh, just a normal local uh, team to a traveling all-star team where I uh, had to travel through the state of New Jersey where I grew up and uh, play against kids who were of, of a, higher, a higher level of competition. So from that young age, I would say probably seven, eight years old, I was, I was starting to find my, my roots in athleticism. Would you say that your parents encouraged, encouraged you in this endeavor? Absolutely. They most definitely did. They were very encouraging uh, in both the time that they took off from their own busy schedules to take me to the games, to travel with me, 
and support me through that entire process. Uh, there's no doubt whatsoever that they were they were a uh, very important part of that that part of my life. In high school, you excelled in football and lacrosse, received scholarships for your outstanding performance, and even the Scholar Athlete Award from the U.S. Army. Tell us about the strategies that you used to train yourself to attain high standards. Well, Dr. Barry, you know, I've, I've, again, being uh, someone who is always against competition, someone who is either of equal ability or greater ability, when I was in high school, I was all my best friends were a year older than me, and they were all as equal or better uh, in athletics than I was, and I always had to rise to the occasion. So I always looked for opportunity and found ways to uh, use them as resources and mentors and, and looked up to them to be able to learn from because they obviously had more experience. And um, football and lacrosse to me were, were games that I, I just found that were, very, that were almost very balanced in life. Football is a game of strategy, where life is a game of strategy, uh, precision as well. And lacrosse is also a, a team sport, but there's a little bit more autonomy in there. You can have one shining star on the team that can bring a team a little bit further, which is what happens a lot of times in life as well. So I found a lot of uh, similarities in life there, and, and I enjoyed it very much. When your older friends were mentoring you, did you keep raising the bar for yourself and raise your own standards of achievement higher and higher and higher? Absolutely. I've never been a quitter. I've never been somebody who has given up or who has bowed down to, uh, to somebody who's better. I, they, I found within me a strength to, to be as good as them or better than them. And it was always challenging. You know, it's like being the, the younger brother. Um, and we were all brothers. We were all great friends, and uh, we were all you know, great comrades on the field as well. So when one would be down, we would all lift each other up. So uh, kind of being the younger brother of the entire group, the younger brother is always trying to, to look up to be like the big brother and, and you know, be as good as him and smart as him and strong as him. So I was always in, this, always in the position of, of being the underdog a little bit, but it pushed me to look inside and find that inner strength to be able to rise to the occasion. Well, did you feel that you were competing with them or that you were using them as a standard against which you were measuring yourself? I was absolutely using them as a standard. Uh, brothers don't compete against each other. We were always, again, like I said, very uplifting to each other. When one was down, we'd pick each other up. We were always on equal playing fields. And when one, it, was, it was all about the inner accomplishment that I wanted personally for my own benefit that I wanted to be in that in that position that I wanted to be the best that I wanted to be of equal value to them and contribute to those games how did self-discipline help you achieve high standards for yourself well you know uh, discipline is a it's a form of strategy it's the ability to to put an eye on a target to see a goal to visualize it and to set concrete strategies to be able to achieve that, no matter what gets in your way. And a lot of times there's going to be failure along that way. So having self-discipline allows you to, to work towards that goal with your eye on that ball and that goal and to be able to overcome those obstacles and those failures along the way and get back up on track. 
So that self-discipline to me was very important. I was always somebody that was disciplined in many areas of my life, and even in the academics, and that's why I received the Scholar Athlete Award from the U.S. Army um, just as a, uh, as a token to you know, show that I was not only good in athletics but also academics, and I see a very big parallel uh, in that, that when I was doing good in academics and I was doing well in school, I was also doing well in sports. If I was doing well in sports, I was also able to focus my attention a lot more on academics. And uh, I found that balance, and that, that's where self-discipline comes into play. Well, give us an example of how you structured your schedule so we can visualize what self-discipline really means. I think that we all have different definitions, and I don't want to make an assumption. I want our listeners to really know step-by-step, step, when you were training yourself, what did you do? Well, that's a, a great point that you make, and, and I, I want to emphasize that as well. We all have different patterns or paradigms of what self-discipline is. And during that period of time in high school, uh, if there's any high school uh, school listeners out there, athletes, um, you have to, number you have to obviously, you, you, sleep is the most important thing. You want to get to bed early. Uh, I was usually in bed by 10, 30, 11 o'clock, uh, unless I was talking on the phone late at night with friends uh, or girlfriends. And then I would... Uh, get to sleep and have a great night's sleep and wake up uh, and have a really important breakfast. Um, you know, that was important for me. And my breakfast happened to be the lunch that my mom packed in a brown bag because I was always, I, I slept in a little bit later. I was challenged to get up. But once I got in there and I ate at school, I ate my breakfast and then ate throughout the day. I think a lot of times kids today, they don't eat um, real full meals. Uh, they, you know, they drink these soft drinks that have energy in them and they get false energy from that, which doesn't, it doesn't promote good health and it doesn't promote positive energy. Uh, and then after school was usually when we had our practices. So right from the classroom, we went to the practice field. From the practice field, we come home and I would eat dinner and I would spend, uh, you know, a few hours doing my homework. And then I would have some extra time thereafter to be able to uh, spend time on the phone with friends or maybe go around the corner in my neighborhood to, to meet some friends for a short time and get to bed on time. So it's a pattern, you know, and, and this is self-discipline is being able to create patterns. We're all very habitual. We always do the same thing, and we're in, uh, we get into patterns sometimes that are not right for us. Breaking that pattern is often the hardest. And um, whether it's, you know, getting to bed on, on time and early or eating meals on a regular basis or paying attention in class or, uh, you know, doing certain things that are going to help you get to a goal that is positive, it's always challenging. But once you get on that path, you're going uh, to be in a better place. It's going to be a lot easier. You're going to have a lot more momentum. Steve, but don't you also think that sometimes we can become too self-disciplined. What are your thoughts about being overly disciplined? You know, that's a, that's a great point, Dr. Barrow. Uh, last night I, I was on the phone with a, a client and a friend of mine, Colin Cowie, and uh, we were talking about self-discipline and how it's very important to reach a goal, but I think you can definitely, and, and we agree both at the same time, that it can be detrimental if you don't have any leeway or slack for for fun or for uh, failure or for some, some leeway. You have to have certain barriers uh, so you can kind of get off track a little bit and uh, not allow yourself to be disappointed if you fall off or if you, get too, if you get sidetracked a little bit. Because I find that too many people, when they get sidetracked or if they fall off from their discipline, they end up beating themselves up and they end up not going back 
into that in that route because they 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 feel too badly about it. So they end up going and spiraling down into a more uh, negative place, and then they have to find at another time getting back up. So I always want to, you know, I always want to emphasize having fun. And if you if you mess up, it's okay. Tomorrow's another day. Take it day by day and go about doing something um, that's going to be rewarding for you. When you achieve a goal, set short-term goals. And you know, a lot of times people also set long-term goals, and they never set short-term goals. Set a short-term goal. And when you set that short-term goal, that short-term goal can be hourly, weekly, or monthly. You then want to celebrate. Celebrate. Have fun. Do something that's enjoyable. Go out and, and really feel that, that, that work that you've put in or that discipline you put in has been something great. And at that time, you might be a little bit off that path, but you're going to be on it the next day. In your senior year of high school, you became the captain of the football and lacrosse teams. Why were you selected to assume these leadership roles? Well, uh, I was always a, a leader among my peers. Um, I had the ability to manage people. Uh, I had the ability to motivate and inspire people as well. You know, uh, being a captain of a football team and lacrosse team, is a, it's a rewarding position. And I took it very seriously. We had, um, you know, we had over 20 to 30 kids in the unit, and uh, they were all looked up to me. And I was able to uh, give tender, tender criticism and tender, um, tender, tender kind of uh, power to be able to, you know, engage them to get them motivated. Because I was, you know, again, I was somebody who was disciplined. I had, uh, I, I worked out in the off season. I trained hard. I ate well. I slept well. And having all these attributes, you know, I, was, uh, I felt like I was a natural-born leader. So I fit into those roles, you know, very, very well. Do you feel that your parents helped you become a leader? And, it, and how did they do that if they did? Well, absolutely. We were a product of our parents. And uh, I, I feel that from a young age, my father taught me, uh, again, to work hard. And uh, when my friends would have their summers off, I'd be working for his business and uh, out there, um, you know, working with, with grown men uh, who had to provide for families. And I was a, a young kid out there and, you know, working through the hot sun. And uh, that helped to, to create a, a sense of worth, a sense of accomplishment. And um, I know that that helped to build the self-discipline and helped to build the, the attributes that I had to be able to lead a team because I, was, uh, I had matured at a young age. I had a lot of, uh, a lot of good experiences from both of them. How did the University of Maryland match your blueprint of the right fit school? Well, I had, again, I had several scholarships to, to uh, several schools for both football and lacrosse. And uh, in choosing schools, um, you know, of course it had to do with academics and what schools were going to be, um, were going to be academically challenging and which schools were also going to be um, athletically challenging. And the University of Maryland was uh, a school that was athletically challenging. They were always in the, the top, uh, you know, 5% of lacrosse teams out in the, in the country. Uh, and um, I went to visit on a beautiful spring day. And I remember walking around the campus on that day and just seeing the, the magnitude of the, of the school. It was very large and coming from a very small town, uh, where everybody kind of knew everybody's business. I wanted something where I can kind of be anonymous um, and create a, a niche uh, there and to be challenged athletically and be challenged socially and, and academically as well. It's a, a very, very good school. So um, it had also a kinesiology department that was uh, in the top ten in the country, 
where I had always had, a, from my athletic endeavors growing up, I had a propensity to uh, be attracted to sports science or exercise science, and kinesiology was something new. So I had, uh, yeah, it fit the blueprint. And I, I remember um, visiting that college among probably about eight that I visited, and it just was, it was a right fit. I just knew exactly that this was the school for me. Well, it sounds like early on in your life you had clear visions of what right fits were all about for you. Would you agree, Steve? I would, Dr. Barrow. Um, you know, clear, clear can be relative. You know, one day it can be clear, another day it can be foggy. Um, and that, that happens from a day-to-day basis, and that happens throughout our lives. It's always being able to take that clear vision and being able to go back to it if it starts to get a little hazy and make it, make it colorful, make it alive, um, bring back a purpose and a goal to that clear vision, and it will get brighter. And so, I, yeah, I had clear visions, but, you know, I also uh, I was flexible in those visions as well. I wanted to do what felt right. I had a lot of intuition as well. Um, people, I think, often, you know, with – People who use vision a lot also don't use intuition or vice versa. Um, I think if you have a combination and a balance of the two, you're in a a really good place. But also, too, I think that as we will discover shortly as the interview continues, that you have the ability to see an opportunity and seize upon it. And we'll get to those examples shortly. That's absolutely right. You have, to, you have to seize the moment. If you do not seize the moment, and that's where that intuition comes in, if you don't seize that moment, if you don't see clearly a goal in front of you, to be able to, to know that is the moment that you need to seize that opportunity, it's not going to happen. So you have to have a clear vision. You have to have the intuition and the know-with-all to be able to seize that moment in time and capture it and make the best of that possibility. In your sophomore year in college, you decided to major in kinesiology, which is the study of human health and performance. Why? Well, I had um, one of my best friends, uh, Dr. Brian Paris. He uh, was at Emory University and decided to transfer to the University of Maryland, where he decided to take on the kinesiology degree because he was studying to be a chiropractor. And in... Again, somebody that I grew up with who was always a mentor and somebody I looked up to, I had, I explored it more and uh, knew that this was something that was right up my alley. I had always wanted to be close to that sports science uh, field. I wanted to maybe potentially go into physical therapy school or I wanted to maybe become a chiropractor or a massage therapist or uh, a personal trainer. And at that time, personal trainers were really not known. It was, it was a new profession. And so it wasn't even something really on the radar at that time, but I knew that I wanted to be closely related to sports and athletics. So that was, again, that was a, that was a, a vision that I had and a feeling that I had, and I seized that moment. When you were a sophomore in college, you had a terrible accident. What happened? Well, I was uh, with my, my best friend, uh, Dr. Brian Paris. We went down to visit our friend, Danny Radziniak, at Johns Hopkins University. And um, Danny was studying there. Uh, med- he was in, um, studying to go to med school. Where he's now a doctor. And we, he was also the captain of the football team. Or he was 
excuse me, he was quarterback of the football team, where we went down and we decided to uh, watch him play another great friend of ours that we grew up with, uh, Jake Duran, and they ended up uh, playing each other, which was really, it was an anomaly. Uh, you know, two guys that grew up together, we all grew up together, who played on one team were now playing each other against each other on opposite teams in college. So it was a really exciting time. And we were ending up, uh, we were, you know, after the game on top of a rooftop where we, uh, Dr. Brian Paris and I decided to, we were roughhousing and uh, kind of just being kids, uh, 19-year-old young adolescents, and we fell off the balcony. And uh, I landed on my head and split my head open uh, with massive head trauma. And um, long story short, I had to have brain surgery, and uh, there's a whole uh, almost three-year recovery from that process. How did your training as an athlete help you restore yourself mentally and physically? Because I know you had to basically recreate yourself. That's, that's right. You know, um, I, it was the most challenging time in my life. It, I had, it was literally a rebirth. Um, I had almost died. I was in a life-and-death situation. I had crushed my head. I was, um, I had fractured my skull, I had a hematoma, I was losing spinal cord fluid, and um, they had to perform uh, emergency brain surgery. And, you know, coming out of that state, I was, um, I was in a, a situation of, of uh, despair. Um, I had physical despair, mental despair, emotional despair, and a lot of times in athletics, we go through those same types of, of patterns. There's emotional despair when you may lose or when you may, uh, you, you might, you know, mess up a play where you, you, you cost the team a point or you do something that's, you know, not going to help the goal of winning. Uh, you also sometimes suffer physical ailments where you may break a bone or you may get hurt to a point where you can't play at your optimal level. And then, you know, mentally as well, when you have any one or all these things, you, you mentally become defeated as well. So you've got to rise up to the occasion and, and pick yourself up and get back into the game and play as if nothing had happened. So uh, that's, that's what was happening with me. I was, uh, I was at the bottom of the barrel. I was losing the game, and I was hanging on to my life um, in many ways. And I used a lot of that strength that I had gained as a kid in my athletics to be able to overcome a lot of these obstacles I was now faced with. It's really amazing that you were able to go back to those inner strengths that you had developed after such a horrific accident, I think. Yeah, well, it, uh, you know, I've been I playing I Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think everybody could do it, Steve, is my point. Yeah, I, I, you know what? I think anybody can do it. You just have to know how to do it, and you have to have the blueprint to do it. I had a blueprint from, I told you, from a time when I was probably about five years old, eight years old when I was playing athletics and uh, playing among kids that were as good or better than I was, and I had to rise to the occasion. And I failed, and, and, I, and I lost many times throughout my childhood and uh, young adolescence until I got to college, until 19 years old. So predominantly almost my entire life, I was going through through series of wins and failures, and uh, this was obviously a, a big failure if, if you if you want to look at it like that and relate it to athletics. I but I knew how to get out of that. I knew how to lift myself up, and I also had my family and my friends that were pulling for me, that were there and such support 
and were, were able to give me the confidence. They were my cheerleaders. They were the fans in the, in the crowd that were cheering for me to be better, to, be, to come out of this and, and be a stronger individual, to be better than I was before. And I had that, that strength from inside from, from growing up, you know, from all those experiences. So it was something that was already innate in me. And I don't want you to think, if the listeners out there are thinking that if you didn't have it growing up, that this is something that you, can, that you can't ever have. You can have this from today on. You can change your patterns. You can change your blueprint. You can do it today. You can begin right now, right this second. It's a pattern and it's habits, and you have to do it in, uh, uh, and have a clear goal of where you want to go and where you want to be and create those positive patterns in your life that are going to help promote that. And when life throws an obstacle at you or when life throws an encounter at you like this, maybe not as bad as this, and I hope to God that it's never like this because it was a challenging time that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy, and I don't have any, but it was uh, something that I wouldn't wouldn't wish on anybody. Um, You will encounter things like this from professionally to family-oriented to personally to physically, emotionally, and spiritually. You can get through it if you have the right patterns. So you can create that now if you'd like to. In Win Without Competing, I talk about uh, behavioral change and actually devote a whole chapter about learning to change one's behavior slowly in small steps so you then can grow into bigger behavioral changes. So it's a continuum. You get bigger from smaller to bigger to bigger to bigger to bigger. You keep raising the standard. And I think that many people are reluctant to make behavioral change. And so the question is, how do you motivate somebody to want to change their behavior? It's a lot easier to do the same old thing. Do you have any suggestions there? That's a great point that you make. And I I am faced with those challenges every single day. In my business and practice now uh, of changing people's lives and transforming their lives, um, people oftentimes want to be motivated to change physically, uh, to change uh, their state of being in pain to to living pain-free. And I have built my my business and practice on over the past several years, actually over the past 12 years, but I didn't really know I was doing this until maybe five years ago. It's been built on motivation, inspiration, and education. And I use those three pillars of success. Uh, motivation is something that comes externally. It comes from, from maybe uh, hiring a personal trainer or hiring somebody, a coach in your life, or, or bringing in friends into, a, into a, an endeavor that you want to accomplish. It's, a, it's more superficial. It's not very long-lasting, and it, it doesn't have a very emotional impact. Uh, it might short-term, but not long-term. And then inspiration, we use stories here, uh, stories of my personal experiences like the one I'm, I'm telling you all today, or I take personal stories from their lives and inspire them to find ways to make it a more deeper-rooted feeling that can help motivate them. If they want to be inspired by a, a success that they've had before in the past where they may have felt like they were at their lowest, but they found ways to navigate to be able to, to get to the top again and get to where they are today. That's a way that I use and help people to get inspired, to get a deeper emotional impact into it. And then last but not least is education. I'm a firm believer if you don't know why you're doing it or what you're doing, then you're going to have half, if, if that, uh, of an outcome. 
And so I educate people on why they're doing it and how they're doing it and what's happening in their bodies and what's happening emotionally, what's happening mentally to help them get them to their goals. So to answer your question, yeah, you can be motivated to do all this, but you, you have to bring in other, other aspects. And in my formula, the motivation, inspiration, education has worked wonders. If somebody encompasses and brings all of those three attributes in, they have a, a recipe for success without a doubt. In your senior year of college, you decided to become a personal trainer and fitness professional. You started a business. Tell us about that. Well, I was, uh, I was taking summer school, and I had to do that since uh, the accident uh, rendered me to lose a semester of school and to lose a little bit more than that, too, because I had a, a lot of uh, mental recovery. I had lost short-term memory, and I wasn't sure I was able, even going to be able to come back to college. So I ended up uh, taking in summer classes often, and there was this one elective this one summer. And it, wasn't, it wasn't offered very, very much, and it was called uh, the American uh, College of Sports Medicine, the ACSM certification, which is a, a gold standard in the industry, and I decided to take it. And um, during that process, I was getting a haircut from my local uh, barber, and I always, you know, they, they tell, a barber will tell you that, they often hear more than your psychiatrist hears. You know, you have a very open relationship with a lot of them. Uh, you're sitting in their chair for half an hour, sometimes more. So, uh, you know, conversations, conversations tend to be loose. And I was telling him, uh, his name is John Green, and I was telling John Green about uh, that I was starting to be a, a personal trainer and I was really enjoying it and, you know, that I saw that this was a profession that was, was growing and that I had a, a real natural ability to motivate and inspire and educate people without even trying. A lot of my college uh, friends and peers always asked me to take them to the gym and uh, show them how to work out their abs and their arms and their chest and tries. And um, I would always go and I was, you know, after a while I was, I was, you know, I was like, I, could, I should make money doing this because I was giving out, out all this, you know, free information and spending a lot of time with them doing this. But of course I never did that. But, I, uh, but what it did do is it motivated me to kind of explore this profession and see it, that it was a viable um, and very profitable business if you if you did it right. So after the summer, I got certified, um, and I ended up uh, talking to John, went back to him, and, and told him that I was uh, now a certified personal trainer, and if he wanted to train, because he had, he had told me he was interested in it, and when I was certified, to come back and talk to him, and he decided to start training with me for $20 a session for one hour, I would meet John over at uh, the gym, and we began working out two, three times a week. And within a short amount of time, within a month, uh, this is somebody that had never worked out before. He started to see great results. He felt more confident. He felt better in his body. He was, he was physically and, and, and mentally able to do things he was never able to do before. And uh, through his word of mouth and his promotion, I built a small business in a short time of six months where I had five or six clients uh, in the College Park and Washington, D.C. area, uh, while I was going to school full-time, and it was a, a great, profitable, and rewarding business. What do you think you said that convinced him to first allow you to work with him? Well, you know, I don't know if it's anything I said in particular. I think it was just my whole rapport-building skills. Um, I have a, an ability to be very passionate about what I do because I know what – exercise can do for you. During my rehabilitation uh, from my accident, um, I had used exercise as a tool to help build my, my body up 
but at that time, I really I didn't understand the relationship entirely. I, I understood it theoretically, but I didn't understand it really on a personal, deep level of how exercise can help your, your mental well-being. Because during my accident, I was mentally distraught. I was a broken boy. And, um, you know, at 19 years old, I had a lot of uh, social um, social uh, criticism, and I had a lot of social uh, responsibilities that I, that I wanted to be able to adhere to, and I, I had to be able to stay strong. And exercise was something that helped me grow. It helped me grow my body, but it also helped me grow my mind. So, you know, I was able to to keep this balance together and see the power that exercise has. So I speak with passion and through personal experience when I talk to somebody about it. And I think that he was won over by that. You know, it's really hard when you see somebody who's so passionate about exercise, who's so passionate about the, the attributes that exercise and creating a mental well-being uh, can, that creating a mental well-being comes from being fit and healthy can create. And that was, I think, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. I mean, this was somebody that was uh, probably in his late 30s that never worked out and decided that moment for the first time in his life that this was something that he wanted to do. So I, I look back on that time, even right now, and uh, you know, I'm very appreciative of uh, having that opportunity and having, for him having the trust in me that I knew what I was doing. In essence, what you're really saying is it's your broadcast of passion that convinced him. Am I correct, Steve? Absolutely. I would say the passion um, for me has been, has been evident. Um, just last night I, I, was, uh, I was a sponsor at a, uh, for the Ride for Life um, event here that takes place from San Francisco to Los Angeles that supports AIDS. And I met several people there, and I got some emails back today about how passionate I was in, in speaking and uh, in our engagement that they just wanted to write an email and thank them, thank me for their time and for my time, and uh, they wanted to maintain a relationship. So um, yeah, I think passion is something that comes up quite often when people meet me and they hear me talk about what, um, what it is that I feel so strongly about in this field. How did you become a trainer for the White House Athletic Center when you were a senior in college? Well, at that time, um, I had my business, and I wasn't sure that personal training one-on-one was, was going to be profitable. It's a very, it was profitable, but not profits that I was looking to acquire. And I, because there's a lot of time, you, you, you know, you, you use a lot of energy. Physical energy uh, is is a lot more, um, it, it, it puts out a lot more than just mental energy than somebody who sits behind a desk. And when you're working with somebody, it's not just physical energy, you're putting mental energy into it as well. You have to engage in five different relationships, you know, uh, at least if you're working with five clients for an hour, you're engaging in five different relationships with five different personalities. Some days somebody could be in a really bad mood and have some really bad things going on, and it, it drains you, especially when you're highly motivated and really passionate and you want to get them to feel uh, the best, you know, when they leave. So um, I, at that time, was also exploring corporate wellness, and that was becoming really big. And uh, University of Maryland had sponsored um, a AT&T corporate wellness uh, lecture workshop for a weekend. And I enrolled in it and went to go see that. And during that, that time, I had met a gentleman there who was speaking on behalf of the White House Athletic Center. Uh, his name is Ted Vicky. And I uh, approached him after his presentation. And I'd always been attracted to 
the stars. You know, I, I've always been somebody, if you reach for the stars and you fall on the moon, you're going to be in a really great place because there's not too many people on the moon. And uh, I, you know, I, I, I went and talked to him, and just in a, a short five-minute conversation, he asked me if I had a resume, and I didn't think anything of it, and I didn't have one with me at the time because I didn't really think it was about uh, jobs, and uh, I wasn't prepared for that. So the next day I brought one in, and I gave it to him, and two weeks later, I, I got a call and uh, was asked to come in for an interview, and um, I was hired. I was hired to be uh, a trainer, training senators and congressmen and staff under the Clinton administration. And it was, uh, that was the pinnacle of my, of my career, and it really it had established the framework for the rest of my career. It had made me realize that I was just not a personal trainer, that I was somebody who had a lot more to, to offer to the world, to my clients, to be able to be that accomplished and have that uh, to, to be in that environment at such a young age with that experience was, was just profound. So uh, it, it helped to, again, create, create that foundation for which I helped to build the rest of my career on. I think what's important for our listeners um, to take away is the fact that you were assertive and spoke up and pitched yourself to this fellow that you met. Because if you had not done that, you would not have become a trainer at the White House. Correct, Steve? That's correct. You know, there are opportunities in front of us all the time. The number one reason why we don't take advantage of opportunities is fear. And that fear of failure, the fear of rejection, the fear of embarrassing yourself, whatever your fears are, you have to overcome them. And you have to be yourself and, and approach a situation with, uh, with just a, a, a humble, humble attitude and a humble uh, way about you that is very, it's non-confrontational, it's not over-challenging, over and it's not going to intimidate um, and it doesn't look too needy. It's just, you know, being yourself and, and going into a situation and, and really admiring the situation and being able to, you know, that's all that I was doing. I was admiring his presentation. I was admiring the, uh, his passion and his vigor um, and fervor into, into his career and into what was going on uh, with his presentation. And that's what I was attracted to. So, um, you know, with that and just that, that honest interest, it helped to land me that job at the White House. But I think also, too, you had the guts to go over and to speak to him. Not Absolutely. everybody has the guts to do that. Absolutely. And those, that, those guts have come from, uh, again, the experience that I had through life, the ability to, to walk into a situation and own it, to you know, work a room, if you will, to, to you know, challenge you know, myself socially, to challenge myself emotionally, to challenge myself physically. Um, and that's always trying to be the best that I can be. After college, I know that you traveled, and then you worked uh, with your dad for a year and decided to move to New York City. Why was this the right career move for you? Well, after I had uh, you know, trained probably for about a year and a half over in uh, the Washington, D.C., College Park area and at the White House, uh, I decided that I had graduated college and my parents were um, they were so uh, they were they were very um, uh, very giving and always wanted me to experience the best in life. And a lot of my friends got to travel Europe 
uh, while they were in school, but I had the I had I didn't have that opportunity because of the accident because I had to make up a lot of time in classes. I didn't have the ability to go and study abroad, but I wanted to do it, and um, they gave that to me as a graduation present. So I traveled Europe for about two months by myself, which was another unbelievable experience uh, and and kind of a bold move. Not too many people can say they just decided to you know pick up, put a backpack on, and fly to Greece. Uh, where you don't speak any other language uh, except English. And, uh, you know, that was a, a really bold move, and I traveled through eight different countries doing that. You know, again, just navigating through setting a goal and, and being able to uh, just be myself and interact socially with people. Um, you know, and during that, when I came back, I decided to work for my father, who had a, a business, and um, I, I was interested in helping them and, and learning more about that and seeing if that was potentially an opportunity for me that I wanted to, to take on for, for some time. Um, and in that short year that I worked with him, I realized that this wasn't my dream and that my dream and passion was to, to help people to live a better quality of life through exercise and uh, training. So I decided to start looking into uh, arenas in New York City because I wanted to, again, be in a, an environment that was going to help me grow as a professional. And uh, New York City had some great trainers and great uh, gyms and fitness studios that were exclusive and catered to the the highest the highest level of clients. Um, so I found one, uh, the Sport Club LA in Rockefeller Center, where um, I went in for an interview with um, now my one of my good friends, Charlene O'Connor, who uh, saw in me again what Ted Vicky saw in me and what uh, John Green saw in me. She saw somebody who had a lot of passion and uh, education and somebody who was, was, was going to be a, a shiny star. And so I ended up uh, getting that job. And in a short time there in New York City, um, in two and a half years, three years, I, you know, I rose up to be one of the top you know, sought-out trainers in New York City and uh, had a thriving business. It was, it was awesome. I worked with some of the top names in the business. I had made several appearances on the Today Show and Today in New York, and I had done body makeovers and uh, ab transformations for six weeks and so on into, in magazines like Self and Fitness. You know, my career was exploding. I was exploding. I was, uh, you know, in the media a lot, and I was having a great time doing it. I had, um, you know, an amazing experience both personally and professionally there. But then you decided to move to Los Angeles. Why Los Angeles? And was this the right move to make? Well, you know, um, Los Angeles had always been somewhere that I had been attracted to. And probably from a, a young age, being blonde hair, blue eyes, and always having a golden tan and, and, and enjoying my summers at the, at the beach, I always was called a California kid. And... Uh, you know, I was always, look, people always thought I looked like I was from California rather than New Jersey. So uh, I think subconsciously it might have done something to me. But I had traveled to California on a couple occasions, and I just loved it. I, I, I enjoyed everything about it. I, again, I enjoyed the beach, the weather. But what I, what I saw more than just that lifestyle was an opportunity in the industry um, where personal training and uh, health and fitness here in California, this is the Mecca. This is where it all happens around the world. This is where the world looks to find answers, to find, uh, to find the solutions to help them 
you know, get through them, get through their problems situations. So, um, you know, in New York, I felt like a big fish in a small pond. And uh, in California, I wanted to be a big fish in a big pond. And I knew it was going to be challenging. And um, I knew that I had my, my work cut out for me. But I felt like in New York, I had built up enough experience and enough um, enough credentials and uh, had enough on my resume to be able to come out to California and do well. And so I took a leap of faith. Um, I remember uh, one morning waking up and deciding that it was time to do it. And within a, a short month, I had tied up all my loose ends and uh, I drove across country. It was, uh, it was a great experience, very scary. Uh, and when I landed here, uh, it, I just, it was, uh, it was, it was a bold move. It took me about two months to acclimate and to get into into the environment, um, and I I wouldn't I would definitely do it again though. You have a fitness studio in Westwood, near UCLA. How can our listeners learn more? Tell us about your website, Steve. My website is www.stevejordan.com, and I opened up this. Uh, fitness studio about a year ago, a little over a year ago, and over the past uh, seven years here in California, uh, my seven-year anniversary was actually on July 1st, I, again, built up uh, a great experience and a lot of uh, credentials and have uh, amazing clients that I've had through the, through the years, and I saw an opportunity to be, um, to be again, at the forefront, to be an ambassador uh, to uh, a revolutionary type of training that nobody else was doing. And uh, I decided to, to pull the trigger on that a little over a year ago, and we've been doing great. It's a, a very successful business. Uh, we have had the ability to change people's lives in the shortest amount and most efficient time. We're using equipment that nobody else is using. We're using programs and principles that uh, only, you know, very few around the world use, and uh, we're, we're revolutionizing the industry. I'm creating and setting a new standard in, in the 21st century. Uh, my goal is to be, you know, uh, at the forefront always, and I am definitely at the forefront of fitness and wellness studios. Tell us one of your favorite stories of success, and uh, pick a celebrity client whose name you can share. Well, uh, recently I just worked with Ashley, Gle- Ashley Green, who's from the movie Twilight. Uh, listeners might know her as Alice, uh, the, the nice girl from Twilight. Uh, she has evolved into not only a, a client but a friend, someone that I, I dearly admire. Uh, she has very similar uh, experiences that I do and, and her ability to find, and, to find the moment and seize that moment and, and grow from it. But we, uh, we met... Uh, several months ago, and she came into the studio and, and fell in love with the workouts, the time efficiency of it, the results that she was able to see in the shortest amount of time. And um, in just a month and a half, she was, um, she was feeling and looking her best. She was uh, picked to be Maxim's uh, hot one, in Hot 100, Maxim's Hot 100, and she was number 68. So she was uh, strutting her stuff in, in pictures and in press interviews uh, with a body that I helped to create that, uh, again, landed her number 68 on the poll of 100 uh, people and women in the, in the world. So uh, really happy in, uh, for her and in that accomplishment, and I'm uh, grateful that I got to work with her and help her towards that goal. You have clarity 
really high-level clarity in terms of the steps you need to take, that you have taken, to grow your business. Do you have the same clarity about your personal life? You know, I, I do and I don't. Um, having balancing work and, and uh, your profession with your personal life can be challenging. My clarity on, on work is, is obvious uh, through this interview. Uh, my clarity in my personal life, it, it wanes sometimes. It, it definitely is not clear all the time. I'm human and I'm not perfect uh, by all means, but I do, uh, I, I do have you know a clear vision that one day I'd like to to get married and have kids and uh, raise them to be, uh, you know, better than, than I could be and offer them the, the same types of, of uh, experiences that my, my family and parents were able to provide for me um, and hope that they, they take advantage of that and, and grow up to be outstanding citizens uh, that offer the world something that, uh, that it needs. Share your secret blueprint of the right fit wife. Well, um, do you she, understand? It's just you and I. Just for a moment, don't think about the listeners. Well, for you know, I would I I need somebody who has who's compassionate, somebody who has uh, a, 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 a an appetite for life, somebody who wants to live life to the fullest. Somebody who wants to take advantage of every moment, sees every opportunity, uh, professionally and personally. Somebody who wants to grow and continues to grow. Uh, somebody who wants to experience the world and, and see amazing different cultures and, and different uh, places and, and beauty from every aspect. Uh, somebody who you know, physically likes to take care of themselves, who sees the same type of, of passion and the same type of uh, opportunity that you can get from treating your body well. We're, giving our, we're given one body in life, and we're given one opportunity to take care of that body. You have to consider your body as uh, they often say, your body is your temple, and your body is like your home. If you don't treat your body well, then your body isn't going to represent the world well, and that comes from just physically and emotionally and spiritually. So I want somebody who can, who can also see that value in, in treating their body and their mind and spirit as well as, as I do. Um, and uh, someone who will equally respect me uh, as I respect them and who wants to, to be able to have kids and, and grow into a, into, into a bright future. Uh, are you looking for a professional woman, or would you prefer uh, that your wife stay at home? You know, I, I, it would be a professional woman, um, but somebody who has a profession that uh, might be flexible um, or who might find value in staying home if she, if, you know, she had kids uh, for a short period of time like my mom did. My mom had a profession, and when, uh, you know, when my sister and I were, were born, she took time off to raise us and, and you know, be able to nurture us and give us the things that we needed, and then once we were old enough to be able to take care of ourselves, she went back to school and pursued her passion. So I think that you know, somebody who has a profession and who has a, a zest for their own career is going to be important. And today, you know, people can work from home. You don't have to go to an office. You don't have to go somewhere very far to uh, 
to find a career or to you know earn an income and and find value in in uh, a profession, you can do it from home. So you know someone who I think can can balance those two acts or who has the flexibility to be able to do that. Steve, you are a win without competing man. You know your core identity. You are soaked in passion. You understand right fits. You compete with yourself and raise the standards against which you measure yourself. You manage the process to achieve your goals. You think outside the box. Thank you for joining me today. I really do hope that you'll come back and join us soon and share more of your life as well as more of your career. Thank you, Dr. Barrow, and thank you, listeners. I look forward to talking to you all again. Please join me again next Wednesday, August 5th, at 5 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. I will interview Billy Lowe, celebrity hairstylist and beauty expert who has worked with a wide array of celebrities, including Ellen DeGeneres, the cast of Desperate Housewives, Deborah Messing, and our guest today, Steve Jordan. On Wednesday, August 12th, Dr. Roger Welton, veterinarian and creator of WebDVM. On Wednesday, August 19th, Jack Fuhrer, editorial director, UCLA Magazine. I would love to hear from you. Please email me, drbarro at winwithoutcompeting.com or call 310-441-5305. To learn more about The Right Fit Method and my book, Win Without Competing, Career Success, The Right Fit Way, visit winwithoutcompeting.com. For information about career coaching, visit drbarro.com. That's drbarrow.com. And for search services, barrowglobal.com. Remember this trigger tip. Walk down the right fit road and you will win without competing. Goodbye for now. This is Dr. Arlene, author, Win Without Competing, Career Coach One, founder and CEO, Barrow Global Search, Inc.